Do you believe the eight o'clock crowd? They we are only down a couple of people from that eight o'clock. Now they did come in there with a bunch of saggy eyes this morning, but they but they made it. And uh, but what a blessing it is to be in God's house as we come to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. We do that every week uh, here. Uh, that's what we come together to to acknowledge. And this week we also will acknowledge the the, the what Jesus asked us to do. We will break bread together. And we will drink of the fruit of the vine today as we remember the sacrifice that God has done. You know, I, um, I, I, for me, it's been an exciting week. I, was, uh, I started the new members class this past week on Tuesday night. And then on Saturday, I was uh, very much appreciative of the folks that give up of their evenings and come out. And I told the group yesterday that, that if, um, if God allowed me to, I would preach and teach every day of the week. I wouldn't be restricted just to Sunday or maybe a Tuesday night or a Saturday. It's because this is what God has called me to do. And as believers, it, that's what really he's called all of us to do. If you, if you look at the early church, we were talking about this this morning during the men's uh, prayer time before that. You look at the book of Acts, you'll see that the church did church every day. They gathered together for the teaching and preaching of God's word daily. They had fellowship daily. Uh, it's amazing how we as a modern church have, have uh, you'll hear people complain because like this coming uh, Easter, we will have Tom Cox, Elder Tom, will Palm Sunday night, he will be preaching at our D3. And then on Thursday night, I will be preaching uh, on the Lord's Supper on that Thursday. And then Friday, I will preach on the crucifixion on that evening and then on Sunday. And so we will gather together uh, and, and hear God's word proclaimed a lot of days that week. But I guarantee you there'll be some people going, why do we got to go to church more than once a week? It's amazing to me that we as Christians get that mindset and we're, we all, I have been guilty of that in my life as well. Kathy would want to go to church on Sunday nights at, at our former church. And I was like, they already got me in the morning, they're not getting me back at night. And uh, so God, God really changed your pastor's heart. I'm not, see, I preach to myself when I preach to you. Uh, when, I, when I am convicted about something, I, I'm going to share it from this pulpit, but I want you to know that I'm a mere man standing here that's vulnerable to God, just as you should be, acknowledging my sin before him and repenting of that sin and striving to live better for him each and every day. So today we are in the end is near sermon series. We are in week six of this sermon series, and um, we are in part four of the tribulation. And uh, so we have spent three weeks talking about the tribulation period, and this is week four. Um, as you remember, last week we got into the sealed judgments, and before that we preached on who were the participants in uh, during the time of the tribulation period. And before that, we talked about the judgment seat of Christ. And before that, we talked about the rapture. So we're moving through this series. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to all, it's available online. And you can listen. You can catch up. And I would encourage you to do that. Um, I have been accused of going too fast sometimes and uh, trying to slow down and give uh, verses that you can uh, write down. I, I repeat them several times. And I do that for the men. You women, I know you get it on the first one. For the men, it takes them a couple of times for me to say it. But if you don't, you can always go back and listen. And I would encourage you to attend your family groups as well to ask questions. And be free to jot me an email and ask me uh, if there's something that you don't particularly understand. I am available to answer any of those questions that you might have. 
And so this morning, I would ask you to turn in your Bibles with me. We're going to be reading from two different chapters in the book of Revelation. We're going to be re- re- first, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 6, and then we're going to jump over two chapters to chapter 8. But chapter 6, starting in verse 1. If you would stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word here. If you're able to stand, if not, please remain seated. Revelation 6, chapter 6, verse 1. And then I looked when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying as with a loud voice, excuse me, with a voice of thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sits on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out, overcoming, and to overcome. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And another, a red horse, went out, and to him who sits on it, it was given to him to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another. And a great sword was given to him. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. And then I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sits on on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice of the midst of the four living creatures saying, One coinex of wheat for one denarius, and three coinex of barley for one denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and he who sits on it had the name Death, and Hades was following him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and the, with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the witness which they had, been, they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Master, holy and true, will you not judge and avenge our blood of those who dwell on the earth? And a white robe was given to each of them, and it was told to them that they should rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow slaves and their brothers who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. And then I looked, and when he opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth, and the great men and the commanders, and the rich and the strong, and every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand flip over to revelation chapter 8 verse 1 and when he opened the seventh seal there was a silence in heaven for about a half an hour and then i saw the seven angels who stand before god and seven trumpets were given to them And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, so that he might add to its prayer to excuse me, add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense went up with the prayers of the saints out of the angel's hands before God. And the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar, and threw it to the earth, and there followed pearls of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And Father, thank you for the reading of your word. Father, we have heard you speak audibly to us this morning as we have read your word out loud. 
these words that you gave to the to your apostle John, who wrote them faithfully down, Father, so that we would have this scripture that we've read this morning. Father, not to bring fear to the life of the believer, but to bring comfort. Father, I pray that the preaching and proclamation of your word today would bring comfort to my brothers and sisters in Christ. It would bring conviction as well, Father, for us to live lives that are holy and pleasing to you. And I pray, Father, for the one or two that are gathered in this place or listening online that does not know you as Lord and Savior, Father. The wrath is coming. And I pray, Father, that they would escape it by coming to saving faith. Would you turn a heart of stone to a heart of flesh this very hour? And I ask all this in the precious name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we have studied and we have read and we have preached on and discussed uh, the tribulation period and as we are now in the middle of the tribulation I want to review with you very quickly the first four seals the four horsemen of the apocalypse the first one we saw was in Revelation 6 2 then I looked and behold a white horse and he who sits on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out overcoming and to overcome remember this is the antichrist and the false peace that he brings the second seal, 6-3, and when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come, and another, a red horse, went out. And to him who sits on it, it was given to him to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him, war and death. And the third seal, and when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come, and then I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sits on it had a pair of scales in his hand, and that was famine. The fourth seal, and when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come, and then I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and he who sits on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill, with sword and with famine and with pestilence, and by the wild beast of the earth. Death on a tremendous scale was released. On the fourth horseman. Now, remember what I said last week. We, would, we have a tendency to think that these come from the devil. These are not coming from Satan. They come from God. God is control of each one of these horsemen. Each one of them is released at the beckoning of the angel, at the beckoning of God. They are doing the will of God. This is not done by, by Satan or any of his... his uh, of uh, his men, uh, mention whatever the word is, <laughs> his creatures. There's not. He's not doing that. What he's doing is he is being on the earth with the antichrist and the false prophet. They are setting up their little kingdom, and yet in heaven we have this uh, other act unfolding. And I want you to notice that uh, something that really struck me this week when I mentioned last week about the two billion people that would be killed during this time. Two billion. Remember, I said that. World's population is about 8 billion and a quarter of them will be destroyed. And I want, do you know how long it takes you to count to a billion? Well, I'll answer that question for you. 31 years. If you started counting today, one second for every number, it would take you 31 years to count to a billion. And so 2 billion people would die. If you sat there and counted it up, it would take you 62 years to count the number of dead. 
I just want to do that, share that with you, to put that in perspective of how much death are going to be a result during the tribulation period of this one plague released by God. Nothing this devastating has happened, yet these first four seal judgments are just the beginning. These two billion people that are, that are killed, all of this war, all of this famine that occur, that is nothing compared to what's going to happen in the next three and a half years. You see, worldwide woes that the sinful, rebellious world will experience will still not bring them to their knees to repent. It's amazing to me when you read scripture and you see the hardness of men's hearts. Far worse is still to come and in the remainder of the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. We, we we're going to finish the seals this morning and then next week we're going to get into the trumpets. And when we finish that seventh seal, you're going to see that the seventh seal contains the seven trumpets and the seven bowl judgments. And all of these, by God, will be poured out on this world. And I know some people shaking their heads and thinking, this isn't just, this isn't right or this isn't fair. I, I thought it was the enemy of God that was going to cause all this destruction. No, there's coming a time when the lamb that was slain, the one who went without a, a word of protest to the cross, the one who, who died on that cross to save you from sin is the Lion of Judah that will return. And when that lion returns, and when he comes that second time, before he comes, the, the wrath of God will be poured out upon this world that belongs to Satan. It will be poured out on them. And those that don't belong to him, those who will perish without salvation, that's only the beginning of their torment. Only the beginning. And as I said last week, and, I, and I'm always reminded of this, that the unbeliever... This is the only heaven they will ever know. And for us as Christians, this is the only hell you will ever experience. This is as worse as it's ever going to get for you, is this life as a Christian. We sang a song, you know, one day when, when every tear is wiped away. I, I, I love it when we sing scripture and I love it when we have a clear understanding of scripture because I'm sure there's some people in this room right now who still think somehow when you die, you're going to be floating around in the cloud and you're going to be this fat little chubby angel. And you're going to have these little sets of wings, and you're going to have a little harp, and you're going to, blah, you're going to sit up there, up in the clouds and do nothing. That's the furthest thing from the truth. No more than Satan has two horns and a tail are we little angels that sit around in heaven. The, 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 the fact of the matter is that one day, at one time, when all this is said and done, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. We just sang about it. There will be no sea on that earth. And, and we will live on this, on the new planet, not this planet, but on the new earth. And somehow we, we forget all that. And yes, right now, the, those who've died in Christ are absent from the body. They're present with the Lord in spirit. And then they will be given their resurrected bodies. And this glimpse that you're seeing as we read today, you are witnesses to that. You are in the presence of the Lamb and those martyred saints underneath the altar. You are in the presence of all that's going on. Because why? Because we either have died in Christ before the rapture, or we have been raptured and we've been taken and we're in heaven. You are not here on earth. But dear one, if you don't know Christ today, 
and the rapture was to occur, you will live through this or die in it. One or the other. And that is why I preach Christ and Him crucified. That is why I teach Christ and Him crucified. And that's why we live Christ and Him crucified here. It's because that's all that matters in the big scheme of things. When you look at life, I was just talking with somebody uh, just before church, and I said, hey, I'm glad to see you. He said, well, I was here last week. I thought you were gone last week. No, it was the week before, Pastor. You're getting old. You can't remember when I was here. Isn't it funny how life just seems to go by and faster and faster and faster as we go? For me, it was, it's so enjoyable to sit with the new members class and, and give a, uh, a presentation of the church, of, of your church. Because one of the things that I believe with all my heart, and the elders believe here with all our hearts, is whether you came and you were here at that very first signing of the covenant in 2006, or you joined in last week, you are a member of Grace Harvest, and you are one of the pioneers. We are the first generation here to to cut trees down, to, to make the fields ready for harvest. You are what God is using to spread his word and his message here, right here in this community. And because of that, we reach all the way out. We've got families that live in Enon near Hopewell. We have them in, in Blackstone. We have them in Crewe. We have them in far uh, northwest Powhatan. We have them up in Bonaire. Uh, matter of fact, we have one lady who's a member, and she lives in uh, Ashland. And then we have people watching online from different states. Why? Because God is using you as a body of believers to preach and teach his word and to live his word in front of other people. That's how you change people's lives. That's how they have a desire. When they look at you and they see there's something different in your life, that you're enjoying life that God has given you in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your tribulations, as you say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. You, you suffer loss, and yet in that, you can still rejoice knowing that you belong to God. And people see that, and they go, what is it about you that makes you different? What is it that, that gets you up in the morning? What puts pep in your step, Pastor? What is it? I tell you what it is. It's Christ. Knowing that it's He's the one that's called me. It's humbling when you think that God bothers to use us, and yet He does. He allows mere mortals. I love it with some, several people in the church posted this uh, on, on their Facebook page. I saw this, and I, I think it was Francis Schaeffer. I think that was him who hit the quote. He said, you know, basically, we're not building God's kingdom. God gives us the privilege to work for his kingdom and to watch it being built. And that's what we're doing here. Your faithful attendance, your faithful growth in Christ, your living his word is what makes a difference to a lost and dying world. We need to be that light and salt that God has called us to be. As, as this time gets closer, as, as, as the worst is yet to come in this, in this, during this tribulation period, it, the, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls that will be poured out, it's amazing to me that, that we're told this is a terrifying time. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, writes in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a terrible thing. Not for you, not for I, believer. It's not a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. We rejoice in that. 
We, 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 we celebrate our, celebration, uh, our, our, our salvation. We rejoice in our transformation. We are not like the world who doesn't know him. You know, I, I have peace in this life because I know, because I know, because I know, because I know I belong to him. I know it. There's not doubt in my salvation. I had nothing to do with my salvation. Therefore, I don't have anything to worry about losing my salvation. While I was a wretched sinner in need of a savior, he broke those chains, that bondage of slavery, and made me his child. I am now a slave to righteousness, not a slave to sin any longer. And so therefore, I rejoice in that fact, knowing that nothing can take me out of the Father's hands. Nothing. Nothing. You belong to him. And so act like it. Live like it. You know, uh, again, uh, I, I love reading historical fiction. And um, I, I, I told Kathy, I'm reading a part of fiction, historical fiction I've never read before. And it's, it's right when the Roman Empire has left Britannia. And so you have the Saxons coming in, and you've got the original Britons there, and then you've got, you've got the, the, the Vikings aren't here yet. They, they're later. And, and all these conflicts and wars are going on during this, during this time period. And it's, it's start of Christianity is starting to move in. It came in with the Romans. Eventually, after Romans became Christians, they, they bring this, this truth in, and, and, and it's spreading. And I'm sitting here thinking that those Christians, even in that time period, were waiting for the rapture to occur. As every other, um, excuse me, rapture or the, or the second coming of Christ. They're waiting for his return. And they're striving for it. And, and they lived each day with that hope. And it's funny when you, when you study that and you think about those, those wars that were fought. I mean, there were wars all the time. All the time. And, and they... And then you get the crazy pagans that come in. Eventually the Vikings come into England. And when they come, and, and they don't care about death. Because they think that if they die in battle, they're going to go to Valhalla, their heaven. And they're going to be there with, with Odin. And every other warrior that's ever lived, they get to fight all day, carouse all night, drink all night, die every day. And then uh, reincarnated basically in their Nirvana, uh, in, the, in, their, in Valhalla. And, and so there's no fear of death for them. And Christian, their death, their Valhalla is hell. They're not going to be doing any of the things they think they're going to be doing. They're going to be in torment forever. And they're going to see the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world and they rejected Christ. They rejected him. Well, if these people aren't afraid to die, what's wrong with us? What's wrong with us living for Christ? How come we can't live for Christ? the way that these pagans want to die for their pagan religions. We, we need to be in the forefront understanding that our God wins. You realize that? You, you, you know, every, every war movie you ever see and, and you, you know, you're, you're wondering what's going to happen at the end. If you know your history, you already know what's going to happen. You know your history when it comes to Christ. He wins. You win. So live a life as, as, as a hero of the faith, knowing that even if death takes you, that's not the end of you. It's only the beginning. As you step in the next life with Christ, as your body is separated from this, and yet during this time, the, these people that are here, remember, Christians are gone. We're gone during, the, during this period. Christians will come to saving faith. 
How do they come to saving faith? Just as a reminder, they will come to saving faith through the witness of the 144,000. They will come to saving faith by the two witnesses. And I believe with all my heart they'll come to saving faith because they had parents, they had friends that shared the gospel with them. And God will call them to be his during that time. And these saints that will be there will not be afraid of death. But there will be no escape for these sinners, these unbelievers who will not repent and turn to Christ. And as bad as it will get for them on this earth, the worse is yet to come as they'll spend eternity in torment away from God in the terrors of hell. In the words of the writer of Hebrews, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Let me say that again. Hebrews 2, 3. Hebrews 2, 3. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The answer to that question is you won't. If you, if you renounce Christ, if, if he's calling you and he's knocking on that door and you're saying, no, I don't want to believe. I don't want to believe. I want to live my life. I want to have fun. There's plenty of time. Preacher, you're an old man. I'm young. I'm, I'm a teenager. I'm in my early 20s. I'm 30. I got my whole life ahead of me. You aren't promised tomorrow, let alone a year, 10 years, 20 years, or 30 years. We all play that game, don't we? We all look at ourselves and we go, uh, my dad was 95. I'm 66. I got 29 years left. No, I don't. I don't have that. I'm not guaranteed that. And so we need to understand, Christian, we live our lives each day for him. You who don't know Christ as Savior, you never know when God is going to call you and make you stand in judgment for your rejection of him. And so we look at the fifth seal this morning, and it says, And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the witnesses which they had maintained. In verse 10 of, 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 of chapter 6, And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Master, holy and true, will you not judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And a white robe was given to each of them, and it was told to them that they should rest for a while, while long, uh, a little while longer, until the number of their fellow slaves and their brothers who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. This is another evidence of God's sovereignty and his, do and, and his sovereign will when it comes to the election of his saints. He, he's saying to here, you need to wait. You wait a little longer. There are still those that need to die. Isn't that something? There are, there are people that God will allow to be slain by the Antichrist and all of the evil that's in this world. You see, when the fifth seal is broken, there will be a period of time when the saints will be slaughtered and martyred. Who are the saints? It's all those that came to saving faith during this period of time. The ones that are on the altar crying out for God, those are the ones that have died in the first three and a half years. There will be persecution for them. And see, this makes the fifth seal very sobering but once you understand God's purpose for the martyrdom and his promise to give a martyr's faith to all to his saints this coming martyrdom should not be feared for those that remain they should not be feared and so even today how do Christians face death and how do Christians from from the from Stephen being stoned to death remember that remember when Stephen had just preached that's, that's every preacher's 
I kid you not, every preacher, could you imagine you preach God's word and you're so faithful in it that they want to kill you because of it? The ungodly want to kill you, not, not the church folks. <laughs> the ungodly want to kill you. And Stephen was taken out and they stoned him. And what was Stephen's reaction to all that? Lord, forgive them. Forgive them. You see, God gave Stephen the strength and the grace to endure his death. And, and what did they say? Was it saying in Acts? It tells him he had the face of an angel. And he looked up and he saw Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. Glory. No Christian should ever fear death. No Christian should fear martyrdom because we know that, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the fifth seal declares that circumstances are coming when the human race will be severely tested. The saints will choose something more precious than life, though, the ones here. There'll be people clinging to life. There'll be, there'll be you know, you, you hear about people now who hoard stuff and, and the, you know, they're waiting for the apocalypse. Christian, you're not a part of the apocalypse. You know, we're never told in there to store up stuff. The only thing I ever read in Scripture is to pray for your what? Daily bread. You know, one of the things God says is in Scripture, it's a promise from him. Either you, either you believe this or you don't. Either you believe that he is God or he's not. But he says he will feed you and he will clothe you. Scripture tells us that. doesn't provide a roof over your head. doesn't provide a car in your driveway. But he does say as long as you are here, he will feed you and he will clothe you. And yet, during this time, you, people are going to be running around looking and, and just as we read last week, we talked about last week, trying to find enough money to feed their families for the day. It's going to be so devastating a time. And yet Christians during this time, their focus won't be on their life. Their focus will be on Christ. Their focus will be on him. And how will they do it? Well, they're loyal to God in his, in his word. And they will choose death rather than to submit to the Antichrist demands. In the pastor's pen this week, I wrote on the mark of the beast. And when you think, you know, people say all the time, I, I get it asked, I get it asked at least once or twice a year. Well, pastor, uh, will anybody be forced to take the mark that really doesn't believe? No. And you have to read the pastor's pen to find out why, but don't read it now. Okay. Um, but you don't have to worry about it. First of all, we won't be here. And the Christians that are alive then won't have to worry about it as well. It'll only be those who willfully take the mark of the beast and they worship the beast. Okay, I gave the pastor pen away. They worship the beast and they receive the mark freely. Christian cannot worship the beast. You cannot worship darkness, Christian. You cannot. What does, what does God have to do with Beelzebub? What does darkness have to do with life? Light. What does the ungodly have to do with the godly? You know why it's so important, Christian, for you to your 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 acquaintances, your best excuse me, your friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ, they should be your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because they love what you love. When you have fellowship with Christians, their focus is going to be on Christ, not on the things of the world. When your best friends are outside of Christ, their love is not your first love. But isn't it amazing, usually what I see happening, it's, it's not the Christian that drags the unbeliever to the godly part of life, it's the ungodly person that drags the Christian down. 
And we're told, you know, you have relationships. Yes, have relationships. To build, uh, uh, build friendships. But why do you build friendships with non-believers? I'll tell you why I do it. For the sole purpose of sharing the gospel. That's why I develop friendships with unbelievers. I don't, I don't do things with unbelievers just to socialize with them other than to, um, I have a motive. I, I, my, my desire is to get to know them so I can show the love of Christ to them and to teach them what Scripture has to say. But I spend my time with you. I spend spe specifically Christians that are in this flock is where I devote my time and my energy and my friendships. My closest, closest friendships are within the body of Christ at Grace Harvest. I am closer to them than I am some of my own family members. My biological family. I am closer to my brothers and sisters in this flock. Why? Because we have the same Heavenly Father. And the Father that loves us, we love Him. And we are brothers and sisters. We don't just say, hey brother, hey sister, because it's something cool to say. We say it because we understand that we are siblings in the faith. That we are co-heirs with Christ. And we should live lives that de declare that. And so the saints that are alive during this time are not afraid of death. They're not afraid of darkness. They see all this around them, and they will willingly go to their deaths to stand for Christ. Well, they'll be killed and they'll be slaughtered, but God will keep a remnant alive because we know that, because the remnant, and we'll get to this later, will be moved from the time of the tribulation period into the millennial kingdom. And there'll be, there'll be Christians that move into the millennial kingdom that will survive this seven-year reign from hell. Revelation 12, 11 declares, And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their witness. And they did not love their life even to death. This is God declaring through John. And we read it to you again. This is what God says about his martyred saints. And they overcame him, Antichrist, Satan, because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their witness, and they did not love their life even to death. Application for us today. Do you love your life so much that you're, that you're not willing to serve Christ? Do you love your life so much that you're not willing to sacrifice your time your resources, your energy for the cause of Christ? Is it all about you and your little world, the little kingdom that you're building? Or is it about God? Is it about Christ? You know, I don't know how many times, and I was one of the people that said it. I think Zach made a confession here about, uh, about our first trip to Uganda. When Zach was... Was, uh, he was a baby Christian, immature in the faith. If you didn't get a chance to hear that, I, I, I encourage you to listen to his D3 preaching. And, and, and one of the things Zach said, I was the one at Bellyache. When they were going to Uganda, I was like, why are you going there? We got lost people right here. Why are you wasting our money? Why are we going there? I had a, fr a dear friend of mine who is a pastor now. His name is John Riley. And John and I were, were high school buddies at Benedictine High School. Both of us raised Roman Catholics, lost as the day is long. Thought we were going to heaven because of, of, of the church and what they were doing for us. And uh, I came to Saving Faith first. John came to Saving Faith later. Uh, I'm a pastor now. He is a pastor now. And I remember when years ago, 
when I was an immature Christian, he, he was growing in his faith, even though I had come to Christ before him. And he said, he said, he said Mark, I want you to pray for me. I said, what do you want to pray for you about? He said, because we're thinking about going on the mission field to China. I said, are you an idiot? What is the matter with you, John? You've got three kids, and they're little. Why in the world would you go there? God doesn't want you to go there. So now I'm an oracle for God. And he, he, I, I'm surprised he didn't say, get behind me, Satan. But I, I, I've since asked him to forgive me for that. And God didn't open the door for him to go. But my whole motivation was not concerned about God. It was, my whole motivation was concerned about, why would you send your family, why would you go there? For what purpose? One of his daughters spent years on the mission field in Afghanistan. Not then, but later on, when she grew up, came to saving faith in Christ, and she has spent years in Afghanistan for the cause of Christ. Right in the middle of the war, she was there. She wasn't worried about her life. There's a young woman who wasn't concerned about her welfare. She was concerned that the cause of Christ would be declared to a bunch of people who didn't know him as Lord and Savior. You see, that's, and they overcame him because of the blood of the land and because of the word of their witness, and they did not love their life even to death. It is the anticipation of the, that coming great day of God's wrath known as the day of the Lord that is in view here when we look at the fifth seal. That day will come during the seven-year period of tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel that we have discussed, particularly during the last three and a half years of this tribulation period, the period we call the Great Tribulation. And such has, has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will, Jesus warned us in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. Jesus said that. It hasn't happened. And it never will happen again. It will happen then. So the first four seals of false peace, war, famine, and death will take place during the first three and a half years of the tribulation. The, uh, the period Jesus called the beginning of birth pains. We talked about how a woman is in labor. And as, she, as the labor increases intensity, as the time to give birth draws near, so will these terrifying events occur as it comes closer to the second coming of Christ. The full force of God's wrath will be unleashed during the second half of the tribulation. This is the God who created heaven and earth. This is our God who put the stars where they are. This is the God who breathed life into you, who knitted you in your mother's womb. And this is the God who will pour out his righteous wrath and anger on this world. So the fifth seal marks the midpoint of this tribulation period and bridging the gap between the beginning of God's wrath and the final half of the tribulation. Like the horsemen of the first four seals, it also portrays a force. The force is the prayers. Did you notice that? It's the prayers of God's saints for him to exact vengeance on a rebellious mankind. The force that's used then, that is involved in the fifth seal, are the prayers of the tribulation martyrs for God to enact vengeance on their Christ-rejecting murderers. So this is a little bit different from Stephen's prayer when Stephen asked for 
uh, forgiveness for them. Now we don't see that. This is imprecatory psalm. This is like the imprecatory psalms. And those are the psalms that the psalmist writes that contain curses or prayers for the punishment of the psalmist enemies. We've all read those. They kind of take us back, right, when we read them. It's like, God, slay these heathen. Kill them. And yet, this is exactly what the prayers of the saints are going to be. To imprecate means to invoke evil upon, upon somebody or a curse. So basically, these saints are saying, God, for your glory, not for our vengeance, for your glory and your wrath to be appeased, when is this going to happen? When? A prayer for pardon is, is, is appropriate at a time of grace. This is not a time of grace. This is a time for the Lion of Judah to come. But when grace is finished and judgment comes, prayers for divine holy retribution are fitting. It's not fitting for us. For you and I as Christians, it's not, that's not for us. Don't think this gives you a license to pray for that person that cuts you off in traffic. God, kill them. No, that's not what this is about, Christian. We live in the time of grace. We are in the church age. We are to act just like Stephen. Just like him. We are not. The Bible tells us what? God's vengeance is not the same as human vindictiveness. And our desire for personal revenge is not the same as God's wrath being appeased. God's holiness and righteousness and justice demand that he take vengeance on unrepentant sinners. Vengeance, I know that's a strong word in our vernacular. Vengeance belongs to God alone because all sin is ultimately against him and an offense to him. David said, I've sinned against you, God, and you alone. It doesn't mean that we don't sin against a brother. What he's saying is the result of that sin is ultimately always against God. Romans 12, 19, if you think that I'm using the word vengeance and I shouldn't be, Romans 12, 19, never taking your own revenge, beloved. Instead, leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. This is the time of vengeance during this tribulation period. The realization that the day of the Lord is coming in which God will take vengeance on the wicked is a bittersweet one for believers. Bittersweet. On the one hand, we rejoice because God's glory will be put on display, sin will be done away with, and the world will be taken back from the usurper. And that usurper is Satan. And God will be vindicated. He will, he will reclaim what Satan stole. But on the other hand, that day will bring about the destruction of the ungodly and their sentencing to eternal punishment. God knows our hearts. You want to know why he knows our hearts? Look, turn to Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. 10, 8. Chapter 10, verse 8. See, this describes John's reaction to what's happening right now. Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me. This is John saying this. And saying, go, take the scroll which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. Verse 9. So I went to the angel telling him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the scroll, and I took the little scroll out of the angel's 
hand and ate it. And in my mouth it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. What's going on here? Well, John's initial reaction to the judgments described in the little book, what we've just been talking about, was the sweet realization that God will be vindicated and his glory put on display. Sinners will be punished. It's sweet. God, you know, how many times have you said, God, what, what, how long will you allow this evil to continue? How long will we live in an upside down world where you, you scratch your head and you wonder how any educated person, any person with any common sense can say that a he can be a she if she just desires it or a she can be a he if she just desires it. We live in a world that is so convoluted, that is so upside down, and we just scratch our head. How long will you allow this evil to go on, God? My generation grew up, abortion, I was 16 years old when abortion became legal. I remember in my government class, I took the side for abortion. Remember that, as a good Catholic boy. Why abortion should be legal. And, and, and I, I, I always thought it should be. What, what's the big deal, right? A woman should have a right to, shoot, to do what she wants to with her own body. We killed 50 million babies in this country. Murdered them. Killed 50 million babies. But some of you are more upset about a man trying to use a woman's bathroom than you were the killing of the innocent. You see, this has always been going on. Evil has always been going on. We just choose sometimes to decide what we're going to get upset about. Now, it's bad now, and it's gotten worse, and it continues to get worse. But, folks, it will continue to get bad, worse than it is now. I know it's hard to believe. It's, 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 it's almost like you see those cartoons with the snowball rolling down the hill, and it's going down the hill. There's nothing going to stop this. It's just going to gain momentum and momentum and momentum until finally God says enough. And he calls his church home. You see, John's initial reaction to the judgment was one where God would be vindicated, but the sobering realization to John was, and the reason that it, it nauseated him, was because all of these unbelievers would be punished. You know what God's saying to you and I? We should not rejoice in the fate of those who don't know Christ. It ought to break your heart. It ought to break your heart that you know people in your very families, your own families that don't know Christ. It ought to break your heart that you work with people that don't know Christ, but yet you keep your mouth shut because you don't want to offend, you don't want to say anything. Oh, dear one, they will spend eternity in hell. Do you think that that person, when they're, they're in hell, are going to be worried about that you offended them? Do you think the person who comes to Christ will ever say, I'm offended by what you said? How Moser will speak to the men. And I remember he was offended by things I said to him. I thought he was going to beat me up one time. We were on a SWAT team together. And he just, he hated Christ. He hated him. Wanted nothing to do with him. He would mock me and others who were Christians. And he came to saving faith. And he sat right here in this pulpit. And he said, it was because of your pastor and another man in my life. And I think the other man had more of an influence than I did, obviously. I think he was just saying it to be nice while he was here. But he said, their persistence in my arrogance, in my defaming of Christ, I thank God 
that they weren't ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I are given the privilege to take the ambassadors as ambassadors of Christ, to take that message he's given us, put it in our satchel, and walk around this life and say, here, can I share with you a message of, from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? It's not, what you, it's, not even, it's not even what you have to say. It's what he has to say. Christian, is, they, hate, they hate him. They're going to hate you. But just think, how many seeds have you kept in your bag? How many messages from, this, from our King of Kings have you kept in your diplomatic satchel and not shared with Christ because of embarrassment or for whatever reason? And that brings us to the sixth seal. In Revelation 6, 12, Then I looked when I opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black, a sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth, and a fig tree cast its unripe figs when, the, when shaken by a great wind. And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men of the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? Unlike the first five seals, each of which involved humans in one way or another, the four horsemen and the saints under the altar, in the sixth seal, God acts alone. By the time the seal is open, the midpoint of the tribulation has passed, and the world is in the final three and a half years period known as the Great Tribulation. I just find it a coincidence that, you know, when I think of the great wars that our country has been involved in, whether it was the Civil War or whether um, uh, World War I, we weren't in it that long, but, but the war basically was this long a period of time, and World War II is about the same amount of time. Like, we were in uh, World War II for four years. You think about this is the last three and a half years of this of this time. You could imagine living during that time. And, and I can remember how horrific it was for my parents. And we, I've shared that with you before. Um, and 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 knowing what went around the world and people dying of sickness and war, innocence, dying. And yet this last three and a half years, not only are we going to have all these wars going on, we're going to have. What we're told here, six frightening natural disasters that I just read to you. First, earthquake. Then the sun will turn black. Then the moon will look like blood from all the clouds of ash and smoke spewed out by the volcanic activity, activity associated with this great worldwide earthquake. Have you ever been in an earthquake in the early service? I got somebody raise their hand. Anybody here been, ever been in an earthquake? Where everything? Yeah. Well, I've been in a real minor one. I've been in California. I've been in a real minor one, and back uh, when it was probably about 2003 or 2004, okay, somebody will correct me on when that exactly was, it had to be right around there because uh, they were still doing construction in my neighborhood, and I was playing chess with one of the twins, and they were in fifth grade at the time, and all of a sudden I, I thought a concrete truck was coming in front of our house, right in front of our house. And, and then the house started rumbling a little bit, and the table started shaking, and then my mother started screaming, Sid, that was my dad's name, Sid, one of the twins is under the bed, shaking the bed. No, Mom, it's not the bed, it's not one of the twins, it's an earthquake. And I remember how, I was just sitting there thinking how uncomfortable I felt, and all it was was just a just little rumbling that was going on. This earthquake is going to be worldwide. Worldwide. Imagine the devastation that's going to occur. 
The sun will turn black. The moon will be like blood. A meteor shower then occurs. You know, uh, John describes it as stars falling from heaven. It'll be a meteor shower. There's not going to be stars. There's not going to be planet. You know, the suns are not going to fall on our earth. It's going to be meteors attacking the earth or uh, striking the earth. Sky will split apart like a scroll when it's rolled up. I find this fascinating. Luke, you you guys are taking notes. Luke chapter 21, verse 11. Jesus described this. Luke chapter 21, verse 11. Terrors and great signs from heaven that will terrify people. Jesus said that in Luke 21, 11. John compares the sky to an unrolled scroll that splits in the middle and rolls up on either side. We find that description in Isaiah 34, 4. In Isaiah 34, 4. And all the host of heaven will rot away, and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll, and the host will also wither away as a leaf withers from the vine, or one as one withers from the fig tree. God will strike down and strike a blow at the dominion of Satan, the prince of the power of the air. Remember, he has control right now of the earth. He's roaming to and fro upon this earth. He is, he is the usurper. The whole unstable crust of the earth begins to move and shift, we're told in Scripture. Imagine all this chaos going on. This devastating natural disasters accompanying the sixth seal will be the most terrifying events ever to affect the earth. And they're not coming from man. They're coming from God. And then the seventh seal. When he opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Eight one. I want you to notice something. There's silence in heaven for this half hour. We're told in Scripture that the angels say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Right? Silence for a half hour. And you, dear one, and I, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we will be there. And we will remain silent for this half hour. Because the saints in heaven and the angels are reduced to silence. We are reduced to silence in anticipation of the reality of the destruction that we see written on the scroll. The half an hour silence is the calm before the storm. It is the silence of expectation and awe of what God is about to do. Revelation 8, 2. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. So we've got the sixth. We get to the seventh. There's a half hour of silence. And then God is that seventh seal is opening, and within that seal are 14 more judgments. As John watched, seven trumpets were given to the angels in preparation for the trumpet judgments that will shortly follow, and we will discuss next week. John's attention was drawn from the seven angels with their trumpets to another figure. Verse 3, and another angel came and stood at the altar, having golden censer, had golden censer and much incense was given to him. So the purpose here, what's the purpose? The purpose of this angel's being given the incense was so that he might add to the prayers of all the saints already rising from the altar. So those martyred saints that are underneath the altar, they're praying to God, when will you revenge? When will your vengeance fall upon those who murdered your saints? And so now this angel adds to it this incense. Those prayers 
were for Satan to be destroyed, sin to be defeated, and their deaths to be avenged, and Christ to come. Dear one, they're going to pray for the same thing that you and I should be praying for today, and that's the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As the angels added this increase to the already burning on the altar, excuse me, he added his incense to that was already burning on the altar. Verse 4 tells us the smoke of the incense went up with the prayers of the saints out of the angels' hands and before God. And again, these are the petitions, believers in the great tribulation against their persecution and all who blaspheme God and Christ in that time. It's coming to the conclusion. It's like watching a movie where you've watched the movie, all the episodes, and the, and the hero of the movie keeps getting put down and put down and put down and put down and put down. And then finally, justice is rendered and the hero wins. Except in this picture, it's Christ where the battle was never in doubt, the war was never in doubt, that God would reign supreme. See, there's a sense of anticipation as these prayers rise before God. They will shortly be answered. God's wrath and his people's prayers are connected. The question of 6.10, Revelation 6.10 says this, how long? How long? And that's getting ready to be answered. How long? Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and he threw it to the earth and there followed pearls of thunder and sounds and flashings of light and of earthquake. Heaven's half hour of silence is suddenly shattered and judgment resumes as a divine firestorm burst upon this planet. Despite the terrifying judgments, which by this time all will acknowledge to be from God. They'd say that. Revelation 6, 15 through 17 tells us that. And the worldwide preaching of the gospel by the 144,000 and others, they will still refuse to believe. Hard to imagine. Revelation 9, verse 20. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and the brass and of the stone and of wood which can neither see nor hear nor walk. It seems incredible that having experienced the fury of God's judgment and heard the message of salvation, people will stubbornly cling to their sin and not repent to God. You know, uh, there's, there's a guy on... Uh, YouTube that I enjoy. It's called Red Pin Logic. And um, he, he always has a, a half the screen he shows usually an atheist or a humanist or a pagan or a witch or somebody over here trying to defeat Christianity. And I, I love this guy because he always does it with love. I'm, 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 I'm fuming when I watch these things. I mean, how can anybody say this stuff? How can they believe this stuff? How, 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 how? And I know they say the same thing about us. But I'm sitting here thinking, the consequences of you and what you're saying is going to cost you eternal damnation. How do you stick to these, these untruths? And yet, and yet, folks, there'll be a time when there's no doubt it comes from God and they look directly at God, they shake their fist and say, I will not believe. Kind of like Pharaoh, isn't it? You ever think of Pharaoh, how could he do what he did and shake his fist and not believe in God? See, the sad truth is the light has come into the world and men 
loved the darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil, John writes in his gospel, John chapter 3, verse 19, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. You see, Christian, when you were saved, you came to the light. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes we try to sneak off into the darkness, but you're still in the light. God's not losing you. You belong to him. You are his light and salt in a dying world. What it refers to here, when they hate the light, they hate Christ. They hate God. They love their sin more. They don't want to turn from it at all. When we sin, when a Christian sins, we're repentant and remorseful. At least you should be. It's part of your fruit of of salvation is that you're going to be remorseful with your sin. You're not going to get. You're not going to sit there and try to try to say, "Oh, this." Try to excuse it and this. Oh, this is this is. Let me try to get everybody to believe the way I believe so that I can do the sin I want to do. No, it's the exact opposite. We fall before a holy God and we say, "God, thank you for your salvation. Forgive me for my sin." And yet, people love the dark. They love to hide in the dark because light exposes evil. Isn't it amazing when Kat and I driving up to church this week, uh, today, this morning, and last week we were in sunshine. <laughs> this week it was dark at 6.30. And roll, roll, roll up here, I mean dark. The place was complete. No light. Not one light was on in the church. And it made me think of this passage. Not one light was on in this church. It was just as dark as can be. You come, come, up, come up here in broad daylight and you see a beautiful church with a cross on it. Christian, you are that light in the dark world. They should always see your light. There should always be a spotlight on you. Always. It should never be darkness. Never be. And so when the live lives that people see the light in you and not the darkness. Why do they hate the light? Because they hate Christ. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Dear one, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, let, can, I, can I share something with you? Please be patient with me. Christians, be praying. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, I'm, I'm not weaving some fairy tale here. This is what Scripture says will happen. You know how many prophecies were fulfilled when Christ came here? Nobody's proved the, Bi the Bible a lie. It is truth. And let me share some of that truth with you. You were a sinner. You were born of a woman. You were a sinner. You have sinned against the holy God, and God demands justice for that sin. He will have justice with you. He will send you to the lake of fire forever and ever. But there's an option. He will show you mercy. He will show you mercy. If you don't cry out for his mercy, you will get his justice, and you will spend eternity in hell. But his mercy was given to you at the cross. His mercy was sending his son to be born of a virgin. His mercy was to have his son be fully man and fully God so that he could be God and never sin and be the perfect sacrifice, the lamb who took away the sins of the world. He had to be man so he could die on that cross. He could suffer on that cross. And what God is offering you is that mercy for you to cry out and say, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. You see, God's wrath had to be appeased for all mankind, and he did it. On that day on Calvary's cross, when God poured his wrath out on his son, 
And Jesus hollered, it was finished. That meant that the price had been paid. And now God can show you mercy. And all you have to do is believe that Jesus is the one that died for you. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Repent of that sin. Say, God, I don't want to live in the dark anymore. I want to live in the light. And God will call you to be his this very hour. Just like the thief on the cross. You don't have to be good to come to Christ. You don't have to know your Bible to come to Christ. There's not a checklist you have to do to come to Christ. All you have to do is renounce your sin. Call on the name of Jesus and believe that he rose from the dead and he died for your sins. And now you're in the light. And now we're called to live in the light. Please don't leave this place without contemplating the results of what would happen if you died today. And Christian, thank you for your prayers. If you were like me, you were praying for those very dear to you that don't know Christ. But I challenge you this day. Are you living a life that is fearful of death? Are you living a life that you understand that God has called you to be light? That you desire to live for Him? What are you doing with the King's message, Ambassador? What are you doing with the seeds that God has given you, the gospel that he's given you to sow. He will be responsible for the ground. But we need to be obedient. Today, God has may spoken to you in a way I can never imagine. I pray that you get it right with God before you leave this place. In just a moment, I will stand in front. God has called you to be a member here at Grace Harvest. You come forward during this time, and I will introduce you to the church as the newest part of our family. God has called you to salvation. You come, you grab this preacher. I'm not trying to manipulate anybody. This has to be from the heart because the Bible tells us that you are not ashamed of Christ who died for you and you, and that's why we, it's a public profession. If you've never followed the Lord and believers' baptism, you weren't saved when you got baptized. You weren't baptized, you were just given a bath. God says to repent and believe and then be baptized. However God's working in your life, don't leave this place today without getting right with him. Father, thank you so much for the preaching of your word. Thank you for your people. I thank you for this place that you've allowed us to assemble. And I pray, God, that we would live our lives that are wholly pleasing to you. And we would desire for your will to be done, just as I desire for your will to be done during the invitation time. I ask this in the precious name of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You come as the Lord leads. Let's all stand and sing.